0: Well, hey there. My name's Eric Gray, and I'm the Young Adult and Family Minister here at the Regency Church of Christ. I just want to take a minute and say thank you for checking out this message. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. And to find out more information about Regency or to listen to other messages from this series, we'd love for you to check out our website at regencycc.org. And we're praying that this message will help you grow closer to Jesus. Some work mentioned school starting back here uh, for some people in just a couple of days, others in a week or so. And so I know some people are a little sad about that. And so to just give us a visual representation of it, I have a couple memes that I wanted to show you that give different perspectives of how people feel about the upcoming school year. So here's the first meme that shows how maybe some parents feel and then others how some kids feel. But then Here's another one that demonstrates if you've got a kid going into kindergarten versus a middle schooler and how you feel when you drop them off that first day. And then maybe in your own home with kids in your family, maybe they approach and have different perspectives when it comes to the first day of school. Maybe it's like in this picture here, one happy and smiling. If you look to the back right, back left over there, you can see a different perspective. I've tried to find a meme for teachers going back to school, but none were appropriate or they were too <laughs> depressing or involved alcohol. And so I didn't want to put those on the screen. And so when it comes to going back to school, there's a lot of different ways to view that, a lot of different ways to see it. Some people are excited. Some parents are excited. If you're going off to college for the first time, you might view that one way. As a parent, you might be a little sad as your child is heading off to go to another state maybe uh, as they start school. And so we have different ways of viewing that. But our perspectives, the way that we see school, it's not just school that we see differently. Marriage is like that too. And I was trying to think of some ways that Crystal and I have viewed marriage differently. And one of the things that she mentioned to me was our stance on pets. Um, I do not want to get another pet she would really like for us to have one and it sort of has our perspectives on that it's it's caused a little bit of uh, not arguing Um, uh, let let me give you an example she'll occasionally send me text messages that are just pictures of puppies Um, don't feel like that's fair Uh, sometimes she'll send me a text message and its studies that show that kids that grow up in homes with pets they're more compassionate and loving children and I'm like, that's not fair either. I'm trying to find a study that shows the stress level that it puts on a father when they have a pet. I haven't found one yet, but I'm looking. Even it's started to rub off on our children. Um They talk about getting a pet all the time. Houston, now every time he prays, he prays for a puppy. Um, my parents were in town, and he prayed, and then we started eating. And he's like, well, I forgot to mention the puppy. And so we had to stop and say second prayer for this future puppy. So if you see us getting a puppy one day, it's because I've lost that. But the way we view that is differently. Like I view having a pet as stressful. And what's the word I'm looking for? Not fun. Is there a word that involves not fun? A lot of work. And so we just view it differently. So whether it's, it's your marriage, whether it's going back to school, whatever aspect of life that you think of, we have different ways that we see it different perspectives. And they're shaped in a lot of different ways. We might call the way that we see the world, we might call that our worldview. And a worldview is a set of beliefs about fundamental aspects of reality that ground and influence all that someone perceives, they think about, they know, and they do. Someone's worldview is also referred to as your philosophy of life, or you might think about it as your mindset, your outlook on life, your ideology, The way that you see the world. A worldview is how you look at the world. It's how you think it operates. It's why you think things happen the way that they do. It's how you view what your purpose is. And here's the thing about the way that we see the world, our worldview. How you see the world impacts everything that you do. There's a study put out by Barna not too long ago that claims basically by the age of 14 – Everybody has their view on the world, which is kind of scary that a 13, 14-year-old pretty much has their mind made up on the way that the world works, how the world is. Now, there's other things that might come along that could cause people to change it. And really, another part of the study is about 20 or so is when it's really formed completely. But that seems young to feel like you've got things figured out and the way that the world works and how it looks. Your family, your upbringing, the school that you go to, where you live, the people that you surround yourself with, the church family that you're a part of, what you watch or listen to, read, all of these things impact the way that you see the world, and then it impacts the way that you interact with the world. So what happens when we aren't seeing the world correctly? What happens if the way that we see the world isn't really the way that we should see the world? When things are kind of blurry and out of focus or we're only seeing part of it and we need to kind of zoom back and get a fuller picture of what's happening in the world around us. And I want to look at a passage together and it's from 1 Samuel chapter 16. And what's happening here is God has put a king in place He reluctantly, in some sense, the people were begging for it. They saw all the other nations with kings. And so eventually God puts a king in place and he puts in King Saul. Now, King Saul looked like a king. He was a head taller than everybody else. But Saul wasn't a great king, made some mistakes. And so it was time to anoint a new king. And so the prophet Samuel is going to find this new king. And we see him doing this in 1 Samuel 16. And he goes to the house of Jesse. And he has Jesse bring out his sons one by one. And he brings out the first son. And when he sees the first son, here's the exchange, the thought process that the prophet Samuel has. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. This guy... Man, I'm looking at this guy. He looks like a king. He looks like someone that will be the future king. But in verse 7, here's what God says to the prophet. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. God doesn't see people. The way that people see people. Oftentimes we, we look at outward appearances and we judge people based on these things. We make a first impression about someone based on what we've seen. Sometimes those first imp- impressions are accurate. Sometimes we find out later that we were way off and wrong about that. But we tend to do this. We look at people the way that people look at people and we judge them by outward appearances or experiences. But God sees the world differently. God sees people differently. And to me, it's a little bit encouraging to notice that sometimes even a prophet misses the purposes of God and they have to be corrected. And the same can be true for us as well. I want you to think about art for a second. So if if you've had kids or if you have grandkids, some point you will get some art that they make. I feel terrible. I'm not great about keeping art from our kids and so you feel weird if you've done this before where you're throwing your children's art away it's a weird feeling to me should i be saving this what should i be doing with this i'm not really sure for a while we had some art um from a child on our refrigerator and then you you throw it away because you're like what is this i don't even know what this is exactly and you you throw it away and i, I remember reading a story about um Uh, one of Picasso's pieces that sold for over a $100 million. $100 million. Maybe I should be saving this art. I don't know. And uh, looking at it, like some of the art pieces, I don't find all that appealing. Like what's the big difference between a piece like this and something that might be on one of our refrigerators? And I realized and recognized like I couldn't go on eBay and sell one of my kids' pieces of art. Why? I mean, no one would buy it. Right? The value of art comes from the creator. The value of a creation comes from the person that creates it. Creates it. What makes uh, a piece from Picasso so valuable is that Picasso is the one that created it. This picture up here on the screen, there is this story from about five years ago where a cleaning lady threw away a piece of art that was valued at about $15,000. So that is actually art, and it would have sold for $15,000, but This cleaning lady looked at it and thought, what? It's trash. And so she throws it away. And the art place was really apologetic about it. They're like, sorry, but this wasn't her fault. You It was an honest mistake. For her, she looked at it and she saw trash. Somebody else looks at that and sees this is something extremely valuable. It all depends on how you see the creation. In John chapter 14, Starting in verse 6, Jesus has this interaction with his disciples. And Thomas says to him in verse 5, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then in verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus, and you can almost tell he's a little bit frustrated in his answer here. He says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. These are Jesus' disciples. They have been with the Lord. They have seen the Lord with their very own eyes. They've seen God in the flesh, and yet they hadn't really seen him. They didn't really see the Messiah for who the Messiah was. They had missed it. And I think this is common. We see prophets, apostles, not seeing things clearly. It happens to all of us, I think, where we miss seeing the world the way that God sees it. There's times where we don't see Jesus' mission clearly for what it truly is, where we have moments where things are blurry. Thankfully, we know that Jesus is willing to help clear our vision up and show us how we should see the world. last passage I want to look at this morning is something that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's what he says, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ urges us on... Because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Then verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone's in Christ, there is a new creation Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Okay, I know that was a lengthy passage, and I want to look at different pieces of it for just a moment. The love of God in Jesus calls us, it compels us to love others as God loves them. That we should view others based not on outward appearances or circumstances, but as people who are loved by God and have value in God's eyes. That we should see people from God's point of view. In verse 16, if you look there, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one, From a human point of view, what does that mean, to regard someone from a human point of view? Perhaps it means that we label people, that we put people into boxes, that we label them from what's on the outside when there's much more to them than what we can see, how we make up our minds without having the full picture. I think this is where students live. Students live in a world that shapes their identities. And judges them by outward appearances. It judges them by the clothes that they wear, the bodies that they have, the cars that they drive, the sports that they play, the grades that they make, the achievements that they have. It's where students live. They live in this world that's judged by outward appearances. But it's the same for adults as well. It's just a little bit different. We live in a world that shapes our identities and judges us by how big and clean and beautiful our houses are, how elaborate our vacations are, how beautiful our families are, how successful we appear on social media. We judge people. We are seen this way, and so we want to make sure that we're seen in a way that would be valuable to other people. And in verse 16, this therefore, it's, it's pointing to a conclusion. It's based on what Paul has said earlier in this letter, talking about where this value actually comes from. And so if we no longer regard others from a human point of view, how then should we look at each other? What does it mean to see with new eyes, to view other people from God's point of view? To me, the key in this text is what Paul says in verse 16. It says, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him in that way. Paul is speaking of his own personal story. Think about what Paul went through. Paul's saying, I once knew Christ merely from a human point of view. If you remember earlier in Paul's life, by all outward appearances, Jesus was to Paul just another Jewish messianic pretender. One of many who had come on the scene before to Paul, Jesus, was this human imposter who had been crucified by the Romans. But now Paul says, I no longer view him or know him in that way. Paul's saying, I see Jesus now for who he really is. Something dramatic had happened in Paul's life. On the road to Damascus, he met the resurrected and living Christ. He sees him with his eyes. He experiences the radical change that comes from encountering Jesus He saw everything with new eyes, felt everything with a new heart. His old life passed away. Everything became new and he's given new eyes. And in fact, there's this cool moment in Acts chapter 9 where when he sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, what happens to his eyes? He can't see. He's blinded. And he goes and he finds a follower of Jesus, or actually the follower of Jesus finds him. And still Paul cannot see and he goes days without eating. And then he actually has this conversation and he is baptized. He gets baptized. And what happens as soon as he's baptized? He can see. And in fact, there's this visual that happens where scales fall from his eyes and his eyes are open. And to me, it represents this new way that Paul now is seeing the world. Before, he did not see things clearly. He did not see Jesus clearly for who he was. And his whole view on life His whole view on the world was thrown off and then he sees Jesus and he's given these new eyes and now he sees clearly how things should be. Paul became a committed follower and apostle of Jesus because of that life-changing experience. Paul's convinced in verse 15 that Christ died for all and because Christ died for all people, all people have value in the eyes of God. All people are loved by God. And that love of God in Jesus Christ, it compels us to live for Christ and to love others as God loves them. Paul goes on to say in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. When we accept the gift of what God has done in Christ, it changes everything. We become part of a new creation. Christ gives us new eyes, a new way of seeing. No longer do we sort and label people and put them into boxes based on our own prejudices or self-interest. Now we see them through the lens of how Jesus sees the world, or at least that's the hope. This new way of seeing transforms our relationships. When we see with new eyes, we look at our families and friends differently. We see our daily work differently. We view our church differently. We see the world around us differently. We view people of other cultures and races and classes through the eyes of God. We open our hearts and reach out to them in love. We find ways to reconcile with people who are different than us. This new way of seeing is not something that we do ourselves It's a gift of God's transforming grace. And so Paul concludes in verse 18, says all this is from God who reconciled us to himself and through Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation in Christ's death and resurrection. We are reconciled to God and we're at peace with God in Christ. Therefore, we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view. We see others from God's point of view. We see the world. From God's point of view. When we learn to see ourselves, when we learn to see others, when we learn to see the world through the eyes of Jesus, our life will be radically changed. When we recognize that he loves us, God doesn't love the person that you wish you were or the person that you pretend to be. He loves you. He loves the real you, and that's a freeing thing to recognize. Many of us spend our lives comparing ourselves to others, hoping that we'll be good enough, but seeking identity and worth in anything other than Jesus is a never-ending cycle of disappointment. When we begin to see the world with new eyes, it means that we will never look at the blank the same way again. If you're filling in the blanks on your sheet, there's a blank there. And I've intentionally left it blank because you could fill it with anything. When we begin to see the world with new eyes, it means that we will never look at what? What is it for you? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your marriage? Finances? Your church family? The world? When we see the world with new eyes, it means that we will never look at the world the same again. You guys seen there's these videos that pop up on my Facebook feed sometimes. And it's people that are colorblind. And they're given these glasses. They're called Enchroma glasses. And what they do is they allow people who can't see color to see color for the first time. And so they will videotape it, and it makes sense why, because it's it's really neat and special. You see these people who can't see color, and they open up the box, and they put on the glasses, and for the first time, they can see clearly the way that the world is supposed to look. And it's emotional. Parents are crying. The person who can see is usually crying. There's a lot of wows and, oh, wow, man, this is amazing. And it's it's an emotional thing to watch when someone can see the world the way that it should look. And to me that's that's what happens when we decide to follow Jesus. That's what happens when we give our life to Christ. The hope is that we begin to see the world how God intends for us to see it. That things look the way that they're supposed to look, that when we look at other people, things aren't in black and white. Things are colorful. Things are the way that they're supposed to be. And we can see people the way that God intends for us to see people. We can see ourselves the way that God intends for us to see ourselves. This morning, maybe you're here and you recognize that the way that you're looking at yourself or the world around you or other people is not the way that God intends for it to be. And there needs to be some correction. Maybe you need to see with new eyes for the very first time. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ and to be baptized. Maybe you need to make some kind of change or correction and see the world clearly as God intended. See others the way that God desires you you to. If there's some need that you have this morning, if there's some way that we can encourage you, won't you come now as together we stand and sing?